0: I think making room for diversity and for difference is beautiful to me because I haven't always had that in my life because I was in this bubble world of Christianity, not to knock it or anything, but at least in my experience, I was in a bubble to be able to communicate and be in relationship with people who believe different things with me than me has not always been my experience. So now to see that and now, you know, I believe a different thing than my mom. But me and my mom still love each other. You know, we're still there for each other. Uh, I think that's beautiful. And I continue to see that in my life in lots of relationships.
1: Welcome to Approach Holding Faith and Holding Space. Welcome to another episode of The Approach Podcast. I'm your host, Mandy, and I have two friends joining me for this episode. One you have heard from before, uh, our lovely producer, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. Who are we here with, Mandy? Well, why don't you tell us who, oh, okay. who we're here with? Because I, I just have... met her like I a half hour ago.
2: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we are joined today by a special guest from my circle of friends named Megan, um how do we know each other Megan?
0: oh boy we go back a little bit um yeah i think we met in our first year of university at brock Mm uh we were in the same program and we were both navigating the lovely waters of dorm life and uh (laughs) where did we actually run into oh it was at the the christian club that's yeah we that met. one yeah
1: <laughs> like an event or something for it, it
0: was
2: a christian club on campus that we were both involved yeah. in um i think we must have run into each other at some sort of event and then we kind of started talking because of a con ed class that we were both in oh yes because we were both in that program at one time in our lives before we both dropped out of that <laughs> yes decided
0: we did not want to be teachers so, after all
1: okay i was like i think that's teaching but concurrent education okay for yes. those of you who
2: don't know, concurrent yes. education is a track that you do to become a teacher.
1: Um, so you were both headed in that direction. We were. Megan, what did you
0: want to teach? I wanted I wanted to teach elementary school. Okay. Like mm-hmm. kindergarten. Ah. Yeah,
2: we were both in a program that was like CHIS, which is Child and Youth Studies, okay. and then slash Con Ed. We have not heard those words in a little while so yeah, i just saw that, that really physical weird. reaction from megan She was like Whoa. i'm sorry i didn't mean to It's <laughs> a little no it's fine triggering um, sorry <laughs> just a little so, yeah we were both in that program i wanted to do like special education i can't remember what exactly you just kind of wanted to do i just wanted to work with right? cute little
0: kids <laughs> Cute little kids
2: loving that <laughs> curriculum life it was great
1: Eat. and then so how long did you both last in that program
2: i switched programs I think mine was like just during my second year and i think you did it later on like a Shortly year or two after later. yeah okay i think
0: it was in my third year
2: yeah because then our entire house ended up just being child new studies yeah yeah that was a time and then you switched to just child new studies oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. so gotcha. we,
0: we dropped the concurrent part yeah. of our program Cause <gasps> i think we all realized how much
2: we did not like curriculum. Yeah. And just the program. Wow, I hope Brock doesn't get mad at me, but I just don't like the program for Con Ed. But then I think I also realized that I just more wanted to work with the actual hands-on life experience that youth are going through. Exactly, yeah. Mm, It's too
0: formalized of a Mm -hmm. system.
2: Yeah. But we can talk about, we'll probably touch on that part a bit later, but um, do you want to talk a little bit about like kind of how you grew up? You're from... Cambridge, which is where I'm currently living, which is just kind of oh, wow. funny because Megan used to always talk about how much Cambridge sucked,
1: <laughs> and now I live there.
2: <laughs> we called it Lamebridge
1: growing Lane up. Bridge. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah. But do you want to just touch on, just tell us a little bit about kind of your upbringing, sure. where you're from, what your home life was like?
0: Yeah. So um we talked about Lamebridge, but I actually grew up for the my childhood i spent in a really tiny town called drumbo i remember um drumbo. Pop- yes drumbo. makes me think of dumbo yes where is it? it is Ish. about 20 minutes from woodstock okay like toward london yeah. out there um yeah so small town living and then we moved to cambridge when i was grade seven grade eight um i got two parents great parents donna and steve um and shout a little out out. <laughs> shout out to them. You can cut that out. <laughs> um yeah, and I have a little brother. He's two years younger than me, Danny. Um, I would say my upbringing was, I have fond memories. Um, mm-hmm. we were tight knit family. Family yeah. was important to us. Um, community was important to us. Um, I would say life was pretty simple. Like it was really just family, friends, having fun. I don't. Yeah, I look at childhood pretty fondly in terms of my family life. Um, school life and friend life was never fun for me. I was bullied as a kid, um, always struggled to find belonging, always struggled to feel accepted. Um, so that also was part of my foundation as well. Mm. Part of your foundation in in what way?
1: Like uncomfortable in social situations, yeah. Or unsure of who you were, or who you wanted to be.
0: Yeah, I think growing up, there was always like this fear, right? Mm -hmm. I just always was afraid to be who I was, whatever that was. Um, I was always afraid of um, inserting myself into social situations because I was always rejected yeah, or it felt that way, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're persistently bullied, you get afraid of letting people in. And that has been my reality for the majority of my life. And now as into my adult life, I've started to recognize the way that that's, you know, impacted Me as a 25-year-old as well. Turns out those things don't just go away. No, they don't.
1: (laughs) I was also bullied as a kid. so, And I can see, yeah, a result of it is definitely that pleasing, people-pleasing part of me, of just like trying to fight for just peace and stability and calm in whatever way I could get it. Exactly. Right? So it's, okay, I'll just do and be who you need me to be just so things are okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: What was your faith like growing up? I know, I think I remember you telling me when we were getting to know each other that, you know, your parents, um, they grew up Christian if I
0: remember, right? Yeah. Yeah, so my dad grew up um, Catholic. Mm -hmm. He was never really like a man of faith. Uh, He never really super identified with that, I don't think. My mom was raised in the Baptist church. Her family was very Christian. They went to church every Sunday. That was a part of who they were. Both my parents, kind of into their early adult life, didn't didn't participate in church, didn't go to church, didn't really think about God. I don't think that was much a part of their life. And then they had me and my brother. And when I was when I was a kid, we would go to church on like Christmas and Easter, like that kind of stuff. Um, so it was always sort of around. But it wasn't until I was probably grade seven or eight when actually. It, my cousin invited me to his youth group at his church and um i went and i had the best time ever and i told my parents i wanted to go to church every sunday because it was so much fun and that actually started my parents faith journey oh wow um yeah which has been pretty fascinating to watch um and even just to talk to my parents about now as they reflect on you know that time and what catalyzed that for them it was Mm -hmm. their daughter saying hey i want to go to church What was it that you experienced, if you can remember, Yeah, at that youth group that kind of drew you in? It was fun, which was the the first thing, but I think ultimately what it was is that it was a place where I felt accepted and I felt like I belonged and that nobody made fun of me and I hmm. didn't really feel like I was putting up barriers. Um, yeah, I was just desperate for somewhere safe to go. So mm-hmm. I think that was my draw initially, for sure. That's cool. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of people at church does not have that. No. That
1: first or that's not the first taste that people yeah. get at church, right? So that's that's cool to hear that it was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's youth group, you'd want it to to be fun. They did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. You should, maybe um, maybe you
0: should introduce us to the actual fourth guest on. <laughs> you may hear a small voice in the background. That is that is my cat Timothy. <laughs> he is locked in the bedroom, but he wants to participate as well. He needs to be <laughs> he heard as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of thoughts on heard. faith. Speak truth <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, gosh. Um,
1: yeah, I guess kind of, I don't know if you have more questions. Yeah, oh, I was just, yeah, just going to ask, um, how did your parents react to the, I want to go to youth group, I want to go to church? Like, I know eventually it led to their stories, but do you remember... Was that like shocking or weird or where did it, how did it land on them?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I've never really thought about how that would have felt to them. But I remember thinking, I, like, thinking back, I remember um, thinking back to that time. I remember the time I asked my mom to go to church. And I used to write a lot of my thoughts down mm-hmm. because that felt safest to me. And I remember like writing down that I wanted to go to church. And she was just like... A little bit like confused as to why, um, but was on board like, sure, let's go. And we went we actually the church we went to was the church that she grew up going to. Okay. Um, so she already had a connection there anyways. Um so I'm sure it was strange for her walking back through those doors. Yeah, right. As well. Yeah. What would you say what did your understanding of faith look like
2: then? Was there anything Um, Was it kind of just like coming to know, oh, there's this guy named Jesus, this is what Christianity is like, or is it kind of, you're just going to youth group because it was fun and you felt belonging in it?
0: Yeah, I think part of, like a lot of my draw was that youth group was my my group, Mm -hmm. they were my friends. But all growing up, I always had an idea of God and an idea of Jesus. And I would pray a lot growing up. A lot of times I felt alone or felt scared, I would pray. So that was a very normal part of my life. And then when I started going to youth group, I started to hear all these stories about this God who I had kind of had this relationship with my whole life, but I didn't really know much about. So it was interesting because I kind of clung to it very quickly because it felt safe and it felt comfortable and it had been there my whole life, if that makes any sense. Um, so I kind of dove right in, it, like, it felt like um, I was like, knee deep, Right away, Mm -hmm. it felt like as soon as every story that I heard, every lesson, I just like soaked it up like a sponge. Maybe part of that was just my vulnerability at the time, like desperate for something. Um, Maybe that was like my childhood naivety. Maybe that was God speaking to me. But yeah, I remember just like being so excited about all of it. I
2: know when we first met, it was during first year university would you say that your experience in high school and up to that point was kind of stable and like your understanding of faith and like your parents as well too? Um, Cause I know when we met, my understanding of you is like a very conservative, ve- like <laughs> some of those views you had then are totally transformed to what they are now. Um, so how did, was that just like you kind of continue to grow without like within high school? Um, How did you kind of land to that spot where I kind of came into the story and we encountered Mm. each other? We became friends.
0: Yeah, I think my faith journey, whatever word you want to use to describe it, like high school was its peak in Mm. a way into university. Again, youth group was my entire world. It was the only place that I felt like I belonged and that I felt like I had any clear understanding of the world, of other people, of how I should live my life. So that was my entire youth. And I was the kid who went to youth group every week, went to every youth conference, you know, led Sunday school. Um, Any opportunity there was to get involved, I was there first in line. I felt like a lot of it was because I got a lot of praise for it. And I keep coming back to this idea of belonging, but that really was a lot of it for me. At the same time, I did have this faith in god and i did believe in god and i believed what i was being told and i believed what i was reading and i was what i was discovering so then when i got to university now i was on my own now i didn't have my youth group i didn't have my youth pastor who i trusted i didn't have really i didn't know anybody i kind of had to start over and i knew that i wanted to do the christian thing i knew that i loved jesus and i wanted to follow that path so i quickly joined a christian group on campus and made christian friends and i think faith was always very simple to me you know like it was very black and white Mm. Um, all through when i was a teenager it was very much like god has a very clear plan for you there's a very clear outline in the bible of what's right and what's wrong and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and there's something comforting about that in a world of mystery and uncertainty um, that was really comforting and i clung to that with everything so when i got to university i had all of these views about these things that I had been told and these things that I had learned at these youth conferences and youth group and wherever, wherever. Um, And I felt like the more that I clung to them and the more I believed them correctly, the more people accepted me. So when I got to university and I was making my own way and making my own path, I felt this need to almost like perform in that, yeah, I believe this, this, and this with certainty. And some of those this, this, this beliefs are things that I would say I did believe at that time, but never really dove much into other than this is what the Bible says. So this is what you believe. Mm -hmm. When did that begin to transform then
2: for you from going from one place of thought to the other? Um, I know we knew each other in first year in residence, and then we also moved together um, off campus as well, too. And so I remember seeing a little bit of your journey, but I think you're also, we were both kind of figuring out life. Mm -hmm. And so I think we weren't always giving each other the full 100% clarity that would have been nice, but we were dumb and young, so.
0: Young, dumb, and broke. (laughs) And broke. (laughs) Um, When did it start to shift for me? I would say when I, when I got to Brock and I started going to you know, finding my own church and finding my own group, um, I somehow found myself attending a church that was hyper-conservative, um, and hyper, I don't know what the word is, um, a church that was hyper-conservative and held very strongly to their beliefs, um, that almost didn't allow any room for questioning, didn't allow any room for doubt. It was that this is unapologetically the gospel, take it or leave it, like it or not, this is what it is. Um, And that came with beliefs about women and beliefs about sexuality and beliefs about other things that later I started to question. Um, But at that time, that hyper-conservative church felt super comfortable to me. Um, And I think, again, it was the black and whiteness of it. It It was the fact that it put life in a box and it made things seem simple in a way, while also beautifully complex, very simple, because if you were following Jesus, then that was a clear path. And this is the path you take to follow Jesus. And even if that meant sometimes compromising some of the things I was thinking, it was for Jesus so it had to be right and I needed to put aside my questioning, my doubts, my uncertainties because this is the only way there is to follow Jesus. And it was very fear-based and very scary in a lot of ways. Now thinking back to it, at the time it felt safe and it felt good. But now I, I realize that a lot of the safety was just because I was following something so closely that if I didn't follow it I was going to hell. So I was following it and that was good and I was safe as long as I could push my doubts and my thoughts out. But eventually those doubts and those thoughts creep in and you can't ignore them. You really have to deal with them. And that was a process of its own that was not pretty, not neat. It was painful, it was scary. It shook me up, continues to shake me up, I would say sometimes. I'm trying to remember the time that I started to deconstruct and I can't really pinpoint a specific time, but I know that around the time I was going to that church mm-hmm. and when I was starting to think about, you know, they would say things like a woman can't be a pastor. And I would think, "Really?" cuz that was never my experience growing up in church. We had female leaders. And I would go, okay, I guess that's right because you're telling me that's right. And that's what the Bible says. And we need to believe the Bible. And the Bible is inerrant and it is perfect. So, but deep down, I thought, like, really? No, I've been led by women who Mm -hmm. did a damn good job at it. Um, So, what's this all about? Um, And as those questions started to pop into my mind, I started to, you know, read things and. Talk to people. A lot of reading because I was afraid to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm.
2: And I know around this time you also went on a mission trip mm-hmm. to Madagascar. And I seem to remember you coming back and you just had a lot of questions about, you know, evangelism, the way we go about it. Um, it seemed to leave you very unsettled. And so, yeah. would this fit into the kind of the timeline of when you were going to that church? Um, working through that, and I seem to remember, like, the summer following that, we all kind of, because we also attended. Yeah. We, as in our housemates, went to the same church, and we all kind of came back after one summer, and we were like, maybe we should try a different
0: church. Um, yeah, it was this strange instant where we were all kind of on the same page about mm-hmm. it, and we had all gone through different summers, different experiences, but we all came back being like, I think we need something different. Mm-hmm.
2: But kind of to bring it back to the mission strip, how mm-hmm. do you think that impacted your deconstruction at that point as well too? Because you went to Madagascar, you knew the girl who was working there, you're really close. Yeah. Um, and how did that impact you um, where you're at then and as well now even as well too?
1: Can you just tell us about what it was like to be in Madagascar? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> All I'm seeing is animation in my head, right? Yeah, <laughs> <Of> lemurs. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, I was I was fully expecting to get off the plane and see dancing hippos, but yeah. that it didn't happen. Oh, it turns no. out, turns out, ninety percent of the mo- the it turns out that ninety percent of the animals in that movie aren't even in Madagascar. Really? Because Madagascar is an island, yes. and <laughs> lions and hippos and giraffes do not cross the ocean <laughs> Well are they doing crates that fall off of ships yes like the, yes yes this is true um, clearly you did not watch this story <laughs> clearly.
1: <laughs> clearly i have <laughs> do you have a child mandy yeah but she's
0: 15 months she <laughs> i watch these things myself
1: <laughs> hashtag excuses <laughs>
0: um no madagascar no for real madagascar yeah. was beautiful it is the most remarkable place i've been to yeah. this date um yeah how long were you there five weeks okay yeah so a, a was good it like chunk.
1: super remote like the people that you were ministering to or mm-hmm. what
0: yeah what so was the feel <laughs> the feel so yeah we were in this tiny little village called bayman haley um I say that because nobody's gonna know how to spell it, so you're not gonna find it. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it little, this tiny little village in a uh, jungle in Madagascar, North Madagascar, on this little island called Nusi Bay. So it was an island off the island. So yes, the so answer small. is very remote. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was. And really you knew
1: unique. someone who was living there full time,
0: or yeah. So I had a friend. Um, she was actually. She was actually a youth leader of mine when I was in high school, Hmm. and kind of when I graduated youth group and high school and all that, we came, we became adult friends. Anyway, adult friends, adult friends, (laughs) yes, much different. Um, (laughs) So yeah, she was a missionary, and she had spent two and a half years in Madagascar in this little village with a team, and they were planting a church. Um, So the. People there believed in a lot of ancestry worship, things Mm -hmm. like that. And so this missionary's kind of goal was to go for the first year they spent, you know, hanging out in this village and getting to know the people, um, building relationships. And then the second year they started to evangelize and um, share the gospel um, with these people. And by the end of it, they had planted a little church in the jungle village. So when you got there, was the church already planted or? Yeah, so it had, yes, it was started. Okay. Um, and there was quite a few attendees, I would say, mm-hmm. um, participants. Yeah, it was, I gone so I had gone two years into her mission. So she was already well into it. She only had about six months left. So they were very well connected to the village and the people, very well established. So it was kind of neat coming into it and. Having people who you know knew the language and knew the people and knew the culture, but also knew my language and my people and my culture, um, it was a neat way to experience it. Mm. How would you say that impacted your understanding of
2: faith um, or even evangelism? I know that mm. was something we talked a lot about because I was at a point where I was <laughs> very conservative. I would say, yeah, um, drinking a lot of the Kool Aid. Yeah, but. Um, I think you were starting a bit earlier than I was about, oh, maybe this isn't the right way to go about it. Or maybe there is, like, are we doing
0: this right at all? Mm -hmm. Should we be doing this? Yeah. So the Madagascar trip was a big shift for me. Um, I think bigger than I realized at the time. But prior to the trip, I had a bunch of materials um, to kind of study and read up on about missions, about international missions, things like that. And one of the books they gave us was called When Helping Hearts. I don't remember the author, but very popular book among missionaries. Um and essentially it's about the process of sort of international missions and how it can sometimes be a form of, you know, colonization mm-hmm. and, you know, further perpetuating racism and, you know, the west is the best kind of idea, and it talks about how we need to do Missions in a more sustainable way, in a way that doesn't perpetuate these things. So I read that book. I don't think I really got from it what they intended for me to get from it, but it got me thinking about, yeah, this idea that, you know, we're a group of white, middle class Canadian people going to this remote village in Madagascar. And who are we to tell them that the way that they're living their lives and the the, the systems that they use to make meaning out of their lives and their beliefs are inherently wrong. And then I thought about the idea of, you know, a powerful white man coming into a little village and that symbolism in itself. Um, I saw a lot when I was in Madagascar, a lot of the local people really worshiped us Mm -hmm. as white people. We were rich, we were powerful, we had it all to them. So when you come in and you say you have a message and you're white, they're going to listen. And to me, that was... And try to please. Yeah, and try to please for sure. To me, that was an abuse of power. That was an abuse of privilege. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I came back from Madagascar and I had to report to my church and talk about, you know, the experience and what it was like. And I shared a lot of stories about, you know, seeing people come to faith and seeing this church grow and being excited about it. And part of me was because a lot of me was still very ingrained in that life and believing that a lot of me did believe that these people needed Jesus. I just didn't believe they needed it in the way that we were delivering it. So seeing you know, people come to faith was still really cool for me. So I came back and reported those stories. But I came back, and I didn't report this to my church, but I came back feeling like, I don't know if this mode, this method, this form of faith is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then the question became, well, if not this, then what? Mm -hmm. And that's a really scary question when your entire life has been church, faith, God. What do you do when you start to not see just, flaws. Like,
1: yeah, not and not just your whole world, but like your place of security. Yeah. Safety, love and belonging.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Especially like growing up with being bullied. Yes. That's not something you want to let go of once you have, right? Like I yeah, I I get that. And the affirmation that you get through it as well. Yeah, um, when you're definitely. doing the right things and the praise that that you get has a lot of weight and a lot of meaning so right you don't want to walk away or it's hard to even have the thought of like but what if i did
0: so what if this changes it's a very overwhelming thought to have yeah yeah it feels like the weight of the world Mm -hmm. it feels like everything's being ripped out from under you Mm -hmm. and everything's just all jumbled up mm-hmm. and you have to make sense of it now, but the, the mode that you used to use to make sense of it now Is doesn't gone. apply. Yeah. So good luck. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It must've been really lonely trying to navigate that in some ways. Did you find that there's people you could open up to about that at all? Um,
0: at the time, there was a couple people who I felt, who I know that I could have opened up to in mm-hmm. retrospect who would have embraced me and would have heard me. Um, but I was afraid to. I mm-hmm. was afraid to tell people because I was afraid. Part of me just really didn't wanna be preached at. Part of me just wanted to be heard. And I didn't know if there was anywhere for that to happen, mm-hmm. at least anywhere where people would understand. Cause it was either say it to your non-Christian friends who don't understand the journey of, you know, having this faith foundation, or share it with your Christian friends who are going to be worried for you and who are going to pray for you and ask to pray for you mm-hmm. and, and tell try you to that. rescue you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been in that situation. I've been the friend who yeah. prays for the friend, right? I've been the friend who tells the friend to keep searching, keep reading. You know, the friend who desperately tries to get your friend to come back. I've been that person. Mm-hmm. But I didn't did, want it. I didn't want that. Yeah. And, and knowing how I looked at people... When I was a Christian, to use that word, the way that I looked at people who walked away from faith was like, I just wanted them to be back. And part of that was because I cared and because I thought that ultimately faith was what was best for them and that they need to be saved. But ultimately it was like a, it, was, it was insensitive and it, it really didn't listen to anything that they were saying. And it was, I was perpetuating this idea that I knew better for their life. Right. I felt that I had the answer for them when I told when I would pray for my friends to come back to faith, it was because I thought that I knew better than them.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, That black and white way of of faith, right? That was so comforting. Yeah. At one time is now like kind of making you uncomfortable. Yeah. Or maybe more than kind of.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah. I think that's something like even I remember at that time when we were housemates, like. Yeah, I probably was not empathetic as much as I could be. Right. Um, What I know now is very different than what I knew then. I was dumb and young. I thought I had all the answers.
0: Right. And it's interesting because, you know, I sometimes get angry about how my church friends reacted when I stopped going to church. I sometimes get really, like, bitter about it. Like, really, my friendship was only because we believed the same thing how did sorry just to give some context how did
1: they react was it a silent treatment what is it a
0: it was a slow you know some of them I didn't I didn't get up one day and decide I wasn't going to church anymore it was a process Mm -hmm. so it was suddenly I wasn't going to bible study every week I felt like I didn't need that and then it's not going to every event and then it's you know what, I don't think I need to go to church this Sunday. And as that started happening, I had friends being like, you know what, I'm worried about you, like, where have you been? And I'm like, I just don't know if this is really for me. I've been reading some stuff. I've been thinking about some stuff. I just, I just need a break. And then their response was always like, come back, come back, come back. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, I need a break. Like, give me a break. Can you just listen?
2: this like you're also figuring out your sexuality which yeah. is like another layer of just confusing especially because when I met Megan
0: your views were very different <laughs> Megan did not like the gays <laughs> Um. yeah so I talk about you know the process of leaving the church and how it was a process I didn't wake up one day and decide I'm not a Christian anymore it was a long drawn out process that I think I'm almost still, in a way, participating in um, or going through. But um, during that process of leaving the church and navigating that, I also found myself falling into a relationship with a woman, which was a whole nother thing to navigate. Layer on layers. Yes, um, because I had never thought in my life that I was gay. I had never been invited to even explore that side of myself. And then suddenly I was in this secret relationship and nobody knew that she existed nobody knew that I liked girls all the while I was trying to navigate not only accepting that part of myself or at least sort of figuring that out but also navigating you've just had your entire world ripped out from under you and you have no compass at this point so and now you're participating in something that for the majority of your life you've believed was wrong that you believed was fundamentally wrong. So that was filled with a lot of guilt, a lot of pressure, a lot of hiding, a lot of isolating myself because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to say or do. I didn't know even what I was feeling and I didn't know how to process it and I was embarrassed Mm -hmm. because I felt like at the age of 22 or whatever I was at the time, I should have had that figured out Mm -hmm. again everyone's journey is different. And looking back, I didn't have to have it figured out, but I felt like I did. And I felt like I had nowhere to go. And I, yeah, it was awful not to be melodramatic, but it was awful to go through that. It was scary and dark. Yeah. Thinking about it now, mm-hmm. I was so lost, more lost than I even realized.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I remember when you, I
2: kind not I don't know if I just always had a feeling. People always said it. Yeah. But I just remember recently, like when we had had like, I think probably the one of the most open conversations we've had in a long time. Like I just remember crying for you because I was like, that must have been so lonely. And I remember like this was probably in between third and fourth year where I was like living with you. And Mm -hmm. then I went to be an RA. So we still saw each other, but it wasn't the same interactions we had had previously. And I had no idea just how lost you felt, mm-hmm. and just how confused and lonely all of those experiences were. Now I know exactly like how much confusing it must have been. How I can empathize a lot better. But at the time, you're just so young in university, and you're so underprepared of how to actually listen and to right. love people that yeah. you're so self-centered
0: in that view. Right. But, feel like a lot of people during that time you know we're all going through a lot yeah. you know we're all figuring it out so it's hard to be f- there for each other when mm-hmm. you know you were probably on your own journey at that time that was kind of putting you in a spin as well I mean it's a it's a messy time oh of, yeah of life yeah it's really like
1: yeah figuring out who you are and you've been on like a school timeline yeah and like, <laughs> so career focused yeah career focused at like 14 right yeah <laughs> right? exactly like 18 you're gonna decide what the rest of your life looks like apparently yeah no um, pressure yeah no pressure even close. <laughs> Not too close. most people change careers many many times mm-hmm. uh, for all you <laughs> yeah young adults or youth that are listening don't panic it yeah. will change and that's okay yeah but when in reality it's like i i wish i For me, looking back, I wish I had the space in my own, in my mind and in my relationships and stuff to figure out who I was and to like, instead of be so forward focused on Mm -hmm. what am I going to do career wise, I wish I, I wish it was normal to have that space at that time to figure out who you are and ask those kind of questions. Cause it's true. Like once you hit 22, right, it's or your twenties, it's like, okay, I should have this figured out in one way or another. right? (laughs) right. Okay, well, I haven't figured out career. Oh, and I don't know who I am really. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's messy. Mm -hmm.
2: How would you say like understanding your own identity when it comes to sexuality impacted your understanding of God, of faith? how all of that relates. Because that's just another layer on top of the doubt you were already feeling. Top of the Madagascar experience. Then you also have to figure out, oh, maybe who I thought I was and what I liked is totally different
0: now. Yeah. I think by the time I got to the point where I was in this relationship with this woman, I had detached myself enough from church and the ideas that go with it that... I was at least able to say, no, this isn't sin. Gotcha. Um, I was at least in that place where I understood that if God was real and if I still believed in this, that he was love and that if this was true about me that I am attracted to women, then that's just how he made me and that's okay. Now, I could tell myself that, <laughs> but... Now that in a lot of ways opened up my idea of God because it suddenly wasn't put in a box, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, God is the one who determines what's right and wrong, but God is just this love. God is this thing that holds me together, that is my security, that is my purpose, and maybe not in the same way, but that, yeah, he's still here and he's still a lot of the things that I believed he was before, Mm -hmm. he's just a broader, I think my perspective on God was just broadened a lot mm-hmm. um, to understand that maybe, and at that time I was, and maybe still am at a point where I'm like, maybe maybe Jesus was God, maybe he wasn't, maybe God is something else, maybe God is another lens that I used to understand him, whatever, but I don't think God has a problem with this. Now, at the same time, I I think the ideas that I had grown up with around my sexuality ended up impacting my perception of myself and my ability to be in relationship with people mm. romantically because I I struggle a lot with accepting it mm. and with being like yeah this is you and that's okay even though I can say that God's not mad at you for this some of those ideas do become ingrained somehow yeah you're like brain chemistry
1: gets changed yeah. around it when you've believed it for so long for sure that there's like a subconscious, reaction to it yeah and i think yeah i think not only for someone who's experiencing that but even for like right now it's a big topic well i mean it's been a big topic for a long time Um, (laughs) Um, just just uh,
0: yeah um we're talking about it now though yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) it's true we are um but i think for for someone like myself who for a long time held similar views that you did when Mm -hmm. you were younger and now I'm questioning a lot of that Mm -hmm. there's still this weird like my I yeah I can say the words but at the same time there's like this innate reaction to it that I hate yes I hate it about myself and I I'm working hard to get rid of it but it's yeah I can't imagine what it would be like to not only experience that as you're like looking on other people but then for it to be about you Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's a whole other level of of shame and guilt because it's not just about judging someone else, but now it's about my perception of yeah, who I am, my worth, my my value.
2: Right. In the psychology world, it'd be a lot of cognitive dissonance going on in your head there you got it it's like we studied this or something weird (laughs) weird (laughs) so yeah i'm kind of curious like you talked about it a little bit but to just go on to the question of where do you think you're at now like what is your spirituality like would you call yourself spiritual would you call the fact that you believe in god but maybe don't subscribe to christianity
0: Mm -hmm. that's a good question so i think i've said this throughout today, but I don't go to church anymore. My family is still very much a part of that world. And so in some ways I still skirt around it. You know, I'll be there at Christmas, I'm sure. Um, I'll go to events when my mom invites me, things like that. A lot of my friends are still very connected to church. So it's still very much a part of my life. I find myself talking about God and Jesus a lot, even Mm -hmm. though... I don't necessarily believe in them, which is okay, and which I think is a really cool thing. Now, I would say that I believe that there is some um, God out there. It, it doesn't make sense for me to um, live in this world and there not be something else. It's just That's just where I'm at. Jesus is the lens I use to understand God. Jesus is the lens I use to understand love. Um, the stories in the Bible I find fascinating. I find a lot of them really beautiful. The way I now look at the Bible though, is less of a, you know, this is the word of God and this is the way you need to live and more of a, a collection of texts from people who were trying to figure it out, who were trying to make sense of this thing called life, who were faced by a lot of political persecution, who were, you know, there was war, there was a lot of crap going on in the Bible, um, and then there was these individuals who were trying to make sense of it, I think at least that's the way I see it. And I think that's really beautiful because I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm that's what we're all doing. We're all trying to make sense of this thing called life. We're all trying to find some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose. I don't know that I'll ever fall on a certainty and I don't think I ever want to again. I'm open to the fact that maybe one day I'll be an evangelical Christian again if that's what happens. Um, But right now it's not, doesn't interest me in the slightest. And I'm kind of just enjoying the mystery, I guess, kind of just exploring and more trying to understand myself at this point, more trying to figure out who I am now that I'm not a Christian. I talk to my therapist about it every week, you know, this rebuilding, you know, you've deconstructed everything and it's been deconstructed for a little while and I've slowly started to build that but it's a process. So yeah, I'd say that's where I'm at. I'm just I'm just rebuilding and not really focusing too much on labeling anything. I'm just enjoying the mystery of it. I think that there's lots of cool ideas out there about God and about spirituality, and I love hearing them. I'm just not about to go tell people how to live their lives either. Um, I think each of our journeys is really unique and beautiful. And I just wanna hear about them and not really tell people how to live anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's where I'm at.
2: I think we touched on this a little bit, but after seeing kind of where you're at now, what has the response kind of been to friends and like family, um, even people at church? I know you mentioned it a bit before when you're first going through it, but now as someone who's settling more into understanding who they are and like rebuilding their ideas, mm-hmm. what is the response kind of been like? for people in your closest circles?
0: It's been really good. Um, unfortunately, over the past couple of years as I've been going through this process, I've lost people along the way. I've lost friends who, for whatever reason, but for whatever reason, they don't want to be in my life anymore, whether that's based on my belief or whatever that is. But no, I have some really fantastic people in my life. and. I think now that I'm at a place where I'm okay with the ambiguity of it all and I'm quite comfortable here in a way, um, I'm not scared to not believe in the Bible the way I used to. I'm just open to talking about it. Mm-hmm. And the people in my life, I I strategically place people in my life you know, that <laughs> are going to respond to that well. And uh, I think that if you're not gonna love me through that if you can't accept that this is where I'm at if you know a, re- a religion is more important than maybe and I've gone through this process of letting people take a step back from me oh. hi Timothy Sub <laughs> <laughs> <Stop> kitty <kidding. laughs> um, I've been surprised recently by how open minded people have been if I'm being honest because for a long time I was very afraid of opening up about it and my experiences when I did open up were not great, or at least didn't feel great to me. I'm surprised that I can walk into conversations now and walk away feeling heard um, and feeling at least to some degree understood. And what I've found actually is just by being honest is that a lot of the stuff that I think about and that I questioned, a lot of people who are still in Christianity, you know, they, they think about the same things. It's not like none of us ever think about these things. Some people, I think, are almost looking for an opportunity to talk about them. So in some ways, I think I open up that opportunity for some people when somebody's standing there saying, this is how I honestly feel and this is the stuff I honestly questioned and that's okay. Yeah, I've been surprised by the conversations I've had and not in a way that I'm trying to pull people away from faith because I do wanna make it clear that I think that faith communities can be very safe, sacred places for people. It's just not for me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's really cool that my family still loves church and that that's their home and that that's their purpose. I've come to a place now where I can accept that and it doesn't make me angry. Um, we're just different, we believe different things and that's okay, it's actually kind of beautiful in my mind. What's so beautiful about it? I think making room for diversity and for difference is beautiful to me because I haven't always had that in my life. Because I was in this bubble world of Christianity, not to knock it or anything, but at least in my experience, I was in a bubble. Mm -hmm. To be able to communicate and be in relationship with people who believe different things with me than me has not always been my experience. So now to see that... And now, you know, I believe a different thing than my mom, but me and my mom still love each other. You know, we're still there for each other. And I, I think that's beautiful. And I continue to see that in my life and lots of relationships. Mm-hmm. That's like the
1: experience of real love, right? right? Like, especially coming from the, yeah, the place of feeling um, that it was very conditional, right. that it was based on like, oh, we have this sh- shared identity of Christian
0: mm-hmm. or
1: faith and then that got taken away and the relationship dissolved or it changed dramatically right. or whatever whereas now you're experiencing yeah that love can still be there relationship yeah. can still be there it doesn't have to come with that cost mm-hmm. I'm interested in asking and you do not have to answer at all um <laughs> how Attention. no no General, i don't please. think so no. it's, <laughs> it's, okay. i, I hope it's dog. not that dramatic <laughs> but maybe it will well, be I don't know. let's but just keep out, uh, yeah <laughs> 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 just keep pounding me caroline <laughs> um what uh what it has what has it been like with your parents in terms of like you being the catalyst to them coming to this truth that has, like, by the sounds of it, mm. completely shaped their lives yeah. since then, yeah. and to have you um, change your perspective or change the way you engage with it, how has that, how has that been? And because <laughs> I'm so curious, um, what do you what do you see when you look at their their faith? Because um, you have said like it's really beautiful, and you've loved watching their journey. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I'm curious to hear.
0: I think that so my parents, like I said, they started going to church when I was in grade seven or eight when I started to go to youth group. And it was kind of always just a routine for them. And then suddenly, in the past couple of years, so pretty recently, it's become much more meaningful to them. In that it's it's become faith. It's become part of their lives. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. Hmm. Um, navigating that those conversations and in, in our relationship has been honestly a little challenging at times. Um, I felt for a long time that they were disappointed, and that I had, I guess, I had felt like I had let them down in a way because I led them to this water. And now I'm not drinking the water, but you guys are drinking the water. It almost feels like, it almost to me feels like I'm betraying them in a way, which I don't think I am, but these are thoughts that I have. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I, I think a lot of the time I avoid that conversation if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I've had to navigate my own feelings around, you know, when my mom shares, my mom will share like Bible stories or things she's heard on a podcast with me. Um, and it's always out of good intention, I think. I think she thinks that's something that I need to hear and that will be helpful to me. But for a while, I just perceived that as her trying to convince me to come back. Yeah. I don't know that that's the case. I think that she, that's her way of loving me. That's her way of showing me that she cares. Um, I think ultimately my mom's dream would be for me to be a part of church, be a part of her church. Um, I think she had a lot of ideas about what that would look like. So maybe letting go of that is difficult for her as well. So I've had to kind of relearn how to engage with my parents around faith, um, because it used to be that we would talk about it and that we'd both be really excited about it. And it would be like, Oh, did you hear this? But what about this? And, and now it's like, I kinda, I kinda have to take a deep breath when they start talking about the Bible because I need to realize that it's not about them trying to convince me anymore. It's just about where they're at and what they believe and what they're excited about. So that's been a process and a process I'm still in. So yeah, it's not been the easiest. It's, mm. it's felt uncomfortable at times for sure.
2: Mm. One of the recent conversations we had, we talked a lot about what you kind of miss when it comes to church or just um, faith communities. And I'm just curious if you would be interested in talking a little bit more about
0: that. Yeah, sure. Um, I miss church a lot in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, that was my safe place. That yeah. was my that was my squad. Like for years, for m- the majority of my life. Um, so I miss that sense of community. I miss you know walking into a room and there being people of all different ages walks of life, um, but all being there for a reason and being connected by something. I miss that kind of interaction because you don't really get that anywhere else, at least not as readily available. Yeah, I miss having I miss having that sense of community. I miss having a very clear purpose, something to fall back on. I miss having people who care, like like a whole lot of people who care. Um, because I think the church does have that you know as much as I can complain about this or that at the end of the day like you go to a church and people really do care about each other The you don't really see people coming together for each other like that in any other context at least not that I've experienced I'm sure it happens I'm sure church is not the only place Mm -hmm. but (laughs) um you know you hear that Betty's nephew broke his leg and suddenly everybody's there with a meal for him like Seeing people come together like that is pretty cool, and you know I miss I miss being a part of that, and I miss yeah I miss being around that. It's it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's it's genuine, mm-hmm. and seeing people just be selfless like uh, an entire premise of Christianity is that you're selfless and that you give to other people. That's not really something you find in the secular world per se. Not as not as prominent at least. Mm-hmm. Is church something that you're. Intentionally
1: avoiding right now, or is it? I guess, in terms of where I'm at, I'm mm-hmm. I've like, yeah, kind of broadened my horizons when it's come to church as well. Um, is that something you've explored at all, or um, is it just right now? It's like, no, thanks, I'm I, not there.
0: I think right now, I'm at a place where I'm just like, no, yeah. thanks. Meh. Um, I for a little bit was in this phase of, you know, maybe you'll try like a different kind of church. Um, you know, there's lots of churches that love gay people. Maybe you can go to one of those. Um, but at the end of the day, like those ideas weren't really what yeah. pulled me away from mm-hmm. it. It was it was more the the belief system and the structures and and I I kind of just want to be I'd love to find community again. Mm-hmm. Um like I'd love to find faith community of people that are just willing to be like, hey, we don't really know what we believe and we're kind of just figuring it out and mm-hmm. let's just like hang out and be together and love each other and whatever. I think at its core, that's what church is. Yeah. I just haven't found that yet. And I don't think I'm really that eager to find it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I still find church, it's hard to go to church. It's It feels very stifling still. Mm-hmm. It feels very like, I just have my guard way up the moment I walk into church mm-hmm. and I don't like that feeling. I don't like feeling like I'm hiding something or that I'm faking something because I think for so long when I went to church, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I I faked it and I said the right things and did the right things. Mm-hmm. And then now I walk I, I walk into church and I feel like I have to do that, even though I don't even participate in that anymore. So maybe a little more healing to do in that department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you wish there was more room for within faith or a
1: journey of faith? Hmm.
0: I wish there was more room for wonder because a lot of the time when I was what we call questioning faith, it was met with a lot of discouragement. Like it was met with, you shouldn't be doing that, which was interesting because as I was sort of exploring and reading and researching and listening to things and opening up my mind to new ideas. It was fascinating. Um, And I really wanted and wished that I had somebody who I could be like, this is what I read. And it's a little unsettling and it might not fit with what we've always believed, but it's kind of interesting and kind of cool. I found a lot of wonder while I was going through that phase, a lot of exciting things that I had never even considered. And as much as it was deconstructing and it was questioning and it was doubting, it was also fun. Like it was, there was part of it that was exciting and wonder-filled. I think too often we look at that as, that sort of journey as a bad thing, like, but actually it's super cool if you're open to it. And yeah, maybe understanding that, yeah, this can be a good thing. It can be a good thing to question. It can be exciting. It doesn't have to be this super unsettling, scary thing. I understand that people's beliefs can play into that a little bit, Um, your beliefs about how important the word of God is and inerrant truth and things like that. But um, I think there's room for wonder. I think there needs to be more room for wonder, especially when you're looking at um, these very sort of conservative, structured systems where there's rules and there's guidelines and there's outlines and then there's the human mind that doesn't really fit there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. The yeah, the understanding or the allowance of space for mystery. Yeah, like God even in the Bible refers to Himself as well with there being a lot of mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of people's experience with Christianity, there's no room for mystery. There's it's no like, room. well, I'm on the other side of the mystery. Yeah, I've already learned it. Yes, but that's. That's not what Scripture meant, <laughs> right? But we don't need to get into a sermon series here because that's not <laughs> Let's what we're get about. Into it. Yeah, because what we are about, and what our hope for this for this podcast uh, is that it would be a place where people can be heard, mm-hmm. and they can go through what they're going through, and know that there are people that love them and and care about them. And I hope that that's been your experience, at yeah. least while sitting here in your living room with us, Um, and that it would not be the only place that you experience it. Uh, So thanks so much for coming and sharing. Caroline, thanks for sharing your friend with us. She's pretty great. great. She is pretty great. I'm
2: pretty grateful you have to share just maybe an hour or so, however much we decide to edit this. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for coming on, Megan, and for trusting
0: us with Mm -hmm. your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for listening. when you approached me about this, I was so excited because <laughs> I mean, I when I was going through this process of deconstruction, I say that like it's over, it's not, um, but I listened to so many like podcasts. I was just so desperate to hear somebody like relate, you know, somebody yeah. to relate to, somebody who gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these spaces are needed and they're helpful mm-hmm. for sure. So thank you guys for doing this think no, it's thank you to yourselves as well but oh ah cute Friendship. <laughs> gross <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right let's stop before Goodbye.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> today we covered a topic that might have brought up some questions memories or thoughts that you might want to talk about but maybe you don't have anyone to talk with Mentors are here to listen. At tmm.io, mentors are ready to support you as you ask the hard questions, process different life experiences, and what it all means to you. In all of these conversations, your information will be kept confidential. You can share as little or as much as you would like with them. To connect with a mentor, go to p2c.sh slash talk to someone and fill out a simple form there. That's p2c.sh slash talk to someone. Your questions are welcome. Let's approach it together.
1: Welcome to the part of the podcast where we talk about what we just heard, uh, how it landed on us, um, the experience of listening to someone share quite openly about a really difficult um, time that they went through and how it's impacted their walk with God or relationship with God. And as always, I've got my two lovely friends joining me. We have Laura, our audio tech. Hey, Laura. And Caroline, our producer. Hello. Hello. So these two were uh, in the room with us as uh, Caroline's friend, Megan, shared her story with us. Um, So, yeah, we her story um, was pretty involved, had a lot of parts in it, um, and I'd love to hear from you guys kind of first first reactions. Caroline, I know like you you knew this story; um, mm-hmm. she's your friend. You kind of watched parts of it unfold. Um, yeah. yeah. What was it like for you to kind of hear her sit down and just lay it all out?
2: Yeah. uh, It was interesting seeing someone who is my friend actually taking time to sit down, be on the podcast, share her thoughts. I've always known Megan is super articulate. So shout out to her. I know she's going to be listening to this, so I better talk her praises. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's very, I think it was just a beautiful moment to see my friend uh, just be honest about stuff that um, when we re- she was going through it, that she didn't have the space to feel like she could be honest or to be vocal about it or vulnerable. Um, yeah, and so it caused a lot of reflection in me of like, I think with the first time she told me it, we were just sitting in a canoe and she just kind of unfolded her entire life. Um, parts that I didn't know about it and there's parts she didn't mention on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I think it caused a lot of reflection on me to be thinking like what, Had I done that made her not feel safe? Like, did she trust me as a Christian? Um, For those people who are familiar with the whole like thresholds of Christianity, where, you know, your friend walks from, you know, trusting Christian to seeking Christ, of like, um, yeah, I I think as a Christian myself, I was like, I don't know if I was the most trusting person at that point in my life. Uh, Am I a person who's willing to allow people to? come to me and feel safe and known and loved and to be honest about their feelings of Jesus. And so I think it caused me a lot of reflection in that regard, but I'm excited that she had the space and the enthusiasm to actually talk about her journey. Um, It's a big one, it's a complicated one, can't wrap it up in a bow. Um, So I'm really curious to hear the thoughts of you two since you guys don't have that friendship with her and that was one of your first times hearing her thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think also just in light of you reflecting and kind of, I don't know, evaluating where you were at Mm -hmm. at the time that she was going through that. I think something I noticed, um, I'm sure you've grown a ton and have changed. Oh yeah, hashtag sanctification, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, so hearing it now, reacting to it now is gonna be different than Mm -hmm. the Caroline that you were at the time that she was going through all that stuff. Um, But I think that's something to be excited about too, to see like maybe you weren't, maybe she didn't feel like she could trust you then. I think it's also just like a hard thing to share. Oh, yeah. Like I don't think it's necessarily, oh, well, Caroline was a closed book. She would not let me, she wasn't someone I could trust. I think a a lot of it is just fear when you're going through something. Yeah.
2: And I don't think I was equipped at the time to even talk about issues like that, that are super complex, nuanced difficult, painful. Um, I definitely did not have the vocabulary or even the empathy and listening capacity at that time to journey with someone who was going through such pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a process. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes, you know, dying to yourself in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think it is something that now I'm like, oh, I can actually, I am more equipped to journey with a friend like Megan now than I ever was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, the burden and also the gift of when you go through your own pain as well too. Totally,
1: yeah. That's kind of, that was the changing moment mm-hmm. for me was when you have a similar experience like that, right? And you can actually have compassion and empathy and understanding to a story like that. Laura, do you want to share? I know Caroline wants to hear from from the two of us I and am how eagerly awaiting how it's landed on us. I
3: think. what stood out to me the most is the beginning of her story and her longingness for belonging Hmm. i think that's just something so many of us struggle with and just something like they say it in church all the time that god created us for community like he exists in the perfect triune god and there are all these like lofty phrases but the reality really is that we do need people um and at the beginning of her story, she found that belonging, that home, that like family in the church, in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was beautiful, and yet it saddens me so deeply to see that like part two, if we can even call them parts, of her story is when she starts doubting, when she's questioning, when she needed the body around her, knowing that they were her family, that she didn't feel safe with them mm-hmm. any longer, that. Her, her doubts, her questions, the things that she was wrestling with were, I think we treat so much like, oh, it's black and white. That's mm-hmm. bad, this is good, mm-hmm. don't do bad. Um, and it kind of like, it, it takes away from her experience of like, okay, I know it's bad, maybe, but it's,
1: it's what I'm happening. feeling. Yeah, yeah it's, it's,
3: <laughs> it's literally what's going on yeah. right now. So how do you how do you walk with someone through that? And I think like Caroline you and your roommates did the best that you could with what little you knew at the time and and um like you can't point a finger to blame on the church per se but I do in some ways mm-hmm. like you should be there for each other. You should be. Mm-hmm. I think the whole point of this podcast is listening. Like yeah. you should be able to just let someone speak what is on their mind the the doubt the wrestling the fears mm-hmm. the the unbelief and be able to like hold that for them mm-hmm. without saying no that's bad don't do that mm-hmm. everything you're experiencing wrong don't experience that mm-hmm.
1: yeah one of the other guests that we've had on the podcast mentioned that um kind of the comparison between an actual Family and church family in terms of like, okay, my actual family is not going anywhere. I can be honest and truthful if I have a good, safe family. Um, I can be open about those doubts and not be cast out. Like they'll journey with me through it and we'll figure it out. And there is such a huge desire for the church to be the same, Um, a place where I can be honest about what's going on and and not feel like that – feel like that feeling of belonging is going to be taken away or is going to be put at risk um, because I'm asking some questions.
2: Yeah, I think that brings me then to a question that I'm curious about your guys' answers. I think a lot of time people don't know how to hold the balance of truth and grace of, oh, my friend is questioning this. Do I need to correct them right away? Or mm-hmm. maybe this isn't the time and place. Like perhaps... The journey the relationship needs to be farther along before I can confront them with that kind of truth what do you guys personally think um, how do you exemplify that in your relationships with people in your life I'm just curious of your thoughts
1: that's been something that's really changed for me like pretty dramatically um, I think the students that I worked with on campus a lot of them I heard over the years that I was really intimidating because um, tend to be, and I still am, pretty direct. Um, And in light of that would not point out the things that needed to change, um, but would often bring them to the surface and ask questions about it and get them processing, Um, which is something that I struggle with now because that was the thing that pissed me off a lot about – Oh, many of the Christians in my life, when I was kind of in the thick of my struggle, um, yeah, was the I don't I don't need you to preach at me the things that I already know, the things that I've already preached at other people that right now aren't helping me. Um, I've tried them. <laughs> like, why are you assuming that I've forgotten those things or that I? I didn't know them in the first place um, and just kind of feeling disrespected in that way, Um, which I mean, the minute you start feeling disrespected, it's you lose trust uh, the moment that happens. So yeah, so it's something that I would say I'm, I don't know, I'm still figuring out Mm -hmm. in this new place that I'm at. I think giving people the freedom to go through what they're going through is more important to me um, than correcting. I think it takes time for someone to get to a spot where they're even willing to listen to that. Um, Yeah, and it's it's a fragile thing, I think. Like, if you get it wrong, (laughs) then you lose the the place, the relationship, or maybe you don't lose the relationship, but you, you lose the standing, I guess, to, to offer that even later on. So I'm far more cautious um, about that. I think I used to, to jump to it um, and use my authority and my position on campus to say that it's okay for me to do that. And I question that a lot now.
3: Yeah, I think for sure. It's, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, It's like, <laughs> you've got to really be attentive to the person that you're sitting with. Like knowing that there's not like this little booklet that's gonna lead you through and be able to help every person in mm-hmm. this cookie cutter mold that, like if your friend is going through X, say Y and they'll be better. Like that's not gonna work no. for anyone. Um, but I also think that there is, so much hope found in who christ was and what he did while Mm -hmm. he was on earth Mm -hmm. and i think in my mind i run to the the story of the woman caught in adultery the pharisees like literally rip her out and throw her at jesus and say like "Eh, she's a sinner judgment do it do it do it just to catch him you know and and you know christ's reply often is questions he doesn't spoon feed people the answers that are right or are by the book even though he literally is the book he is the word you know but he allows people to come to that conclusion themselves mm-hmm. and then that story like wraps up so beautifully that like no one is without sin no one can cast the first stone only christ is the one to do that and he doesn't and he didn't, yeah you know he he picks them up picks this woman up and says like your sins are forgiven go Mm -hmm. on and sin no more Mm -hmm. which i mean like okay we're not christ we can't tell our friends your sins are forgiven (laughs) go and sin no more but there should be room for that grace in your relationships Mm -hmm. like if jesus can look at the like men that were on either side of him as he's literally being crucified like these are two criminals and still love them if he can love the prostitutes the tax collectors the like outsiders of his time What's stopping Christians today from loving the people that are around us that are doubting their faith, that are questioning, that are stumbling through life? Like, aren't we all?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. When you bring up kind of looking at Jesus, you never see like a panicked response in him. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we know someone who's questioning or struggling, um, like as a Christian with a friend who's Christian and is struggling, often the first reaction is panic. And, okay, it's I got their salvation like, is leaving. Yeah, I, I have to fix it. I've got it's to like save fight them. Or flight. Yeah, yeah. When I think of Jesus, he never had that reaction. His reaction was always very patient, and there was an understanding of the like longer story, the fuller story, rather than the like this moment, moment right now. Yeah, and the panic that I think, and I think that might be the way that I've grown more is understanding the length and breadth that comes with someone's story and their experience with God. Whereas I used to react far more to the moment and kind of that thought of like, yeah, but what if they die right now? Okay, I don't know that. They don't know that. God knows that. How about I leave it with him (laughs) and I think it it play out? Yeah,
3: I think it also depends on like the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Because I know a good handful of friends that just need to hear, that's a lie. Do not believe that yeah. that is not true. Mm-hmm. And they need that like boldness of speech because they're wrestling and they're freaking out in their own mind and they're saying like, what if this is true of me? Mm-hmm. What if this is true of me? What if God doesn't love me and you need to there there are times and there are people that need to hear that. Um, so we're not I'm not saying don't say the truth to them, but I'm saying no, who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That actually, it just made me think of that verse in first Corinthians three, where it talks about the
2: milk and meat. Like we look at a baby, you're not gonna force feed them a whole prime rib steak. Some people are just not at that point yet. And I think that was my issue when I was in university, I was just trying to give people straight up prime rib. And they're like, bruh, I ain't even had (laughs) like applesauce yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was one of the learning curves for me understanding that I can't treat everyone the same. There's no formula to it. It takes time. It takes discernment. It takes prayer. Mm -hmm. It takes empathy. It's not going to be something that's immediate transformation. Spiritual formation takes
3: time. Yeah. And I think that metaphor of like, you know, the baby needs milk versus the grown adult needs steak. Like sometimes that grown adult gets sick,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes. they can't handle a steak. Sometimes they get a
3: stomach flu, you know, and they can't.
1: Like all they can do is toast.
3: Yeah, toast. and that's okay. Like Gendry learn ale. thats what I go to. Sorry, <laughs> toast when they're sick. That's what you're supposed to have. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah.
1: Have I been living my whole life a lot? <laughs> toast. Yeah, that's rice, what the doctor says. Anything bread. bland. Are you and- serious? Yeah, ginger
3: yeah. ale. Uh huh yeah oh, crackers yeah oh, i just had a revelation <laughs> <laughs> there's some just... sort of acronym on... for it and yeah, i don't remember is. it but my friend said yeah, toast it's... and bread was on it so what doctor is this it's that applesauce I don't is on have? there too yeah. mm-hmm. okay i'm not it's crazy
1: bread no, you're not. applesauce
3: oranges they no. have vi- no no they're not about about the flu. Citrus. super acidic it was different than stomach Oh, okay. okay Anything okay, that you're okay. okay. This is so
0: <laughs> I took social sciences. In for your science. medical advice. Three. Complete, <laughs> Please don't uh, take any not expert people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so
3: sometimes that friend, that grown adult, can't take steak anymore. You know, sometimes they catch a stomach flu and they're back to the basics of bread, applesauce, rice. Crackers, ginger ale, and they can't stomach that steak anymore, and that's just the progression of life. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's not wrong for us to go back to those basic foods, and it's also not wrong to. I don't know where I was going with that. And cut that sentence (laughs) out. (laughs) We should probably wrap it up too. Okay, it's been Um, quite a long time. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. um, there was one thing I wanted to mention, and now it's gone. No, I'm just trying to decide how to.
3: Can I throw a sentence in while you Yeah, think?
1: totally. The best piece of advice I was
3: ever given during when I was struggling was, Laura, the gospel is for you. It's not just something you tell people. It's not just something Beautiful. you live.
1: But it is for you. Wow. Something that... um Andy Smits is the National Director of Power to Change Students, and he was here um, a few days ago in, in the office. And uh, we were telling him a little bit about this podcast, and um, he's really excited about it and curious to tune in, which is great. But And a reason why was some of the best advice he was given or a line from his youth that he remembers still is is very simple, life is hard. It's not going to be a constant climb upwards with everything. Things are going to be unexpected and unpredictable, and that's it's going to impact you, and it's going to impact the way that you understand God and and yeah, what you need at certain points, whether that's milk or steak. Um, something that I observed um, that I think is worth worth mentioning too, in in terms of Megan's story specifically, um, was I think. I think an outsider from that conversation or someone who's just kind of observing her life um, might jump to the conclusion that like, oh, well, it's all just about her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's where that's where things went, went wrong for her was in questioning that. And I think what I really loved about her story was, uh, and was challenged by was actually that wasn't the point of, great struggle um it that came later it was a part of and is part of her story but I think a lot of people yeah watching from the outside not knowing her would make the assumption of like oh well she I don't know she picked her sexuality over God or whatever the assumptions and thoughts that people people have about it but it was Really interesting for me to hear that the point actually came from going on a missions trip mm-hmm. and experiencing that white superiority when she was in Madagascar and and recognizing how how that was being used um, to gain power and yeah authority uh, in someone else's life and for me you guys know I just finished writing an article on my Indian status and have has I've learned a lot about that part of me and is a thing that I've been struggling with kind of since writing that is this this use of power in, in missions. And there's a long history of it in lots of different contexts and with lots of different people groups. Yeah. And it's something that I'm, I'm thinking through and processing. So to hear her share it so articulately, I think, too, uh, kind of helped me continue in my processing of, of that, especially having been someone who's been on many, many missions trips, um, to many places where my white face is what drew attention to me and to my words. And I was very okay with that at the time. And it's something that, yeah. So it was helpful to hear her process it and kind of identify with some of those big struggles too, that, uh, that she faced as a result of going on that mission trip. Thanks so much, guys, for, for joining me to process as we uh, yeah, kind of reflected on what, what Megan shared. I think, uh, yeah, it's one of the stories that we're going to hear on this podcast that you might, we might not agree with everything that we've heard, but we still have plenty of opportunity to listen, to seek to understand and, and love people as they're going through whatever it is they're going through, so... Um, uh, it was a pleasure to to meet Megan and have her share her story, and she's pretty great. She is pretty great, and I think it it also brings up the point of it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know <laughs> what, like Laura said, part one, part two, who knows how many more parts there's gonna there there will be. Um, but we had the joy of hearing what's happened so far for her. So thanks for coming and sharing guys.